Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today we are talking about bootlegging. Mm, bootlegging, counterfeiting, and other alcohol-based illegal shenanigans. Everything from tax avoidance to poisoning your neighbor. Yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting one and uh, definitely an educational one with some useful warnings. Mm. So I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. And in the spirit of bootlegging, I have some homebrew. Some, we have some tax-free booze that we're yes. drinking right now. <laughs> so technically, this is not bootleg. Nothing illegal or illicit no. about producing one's own alcohol without paying tax, unless it's unless you're selling it. Yeah, unless you're selling it, or in Australia, unless it is distilled and it's a volume over five liters. Mm. Oddly, oddly specific. Oddly specific, and we'll, we'll get to that a bit more later with how confusing the tax laws are in Australia and how people have uh, taken steps to avoid such confusion mm. and make more profits. That's it, because most of what we pay for alcohol is in, well, especially in Australia, most of what we pay for booze is tax for, yeah. for a $30 bottle of spirits. You're looking at about twenty six dollars worth of tax on it. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. I mean, for yeah, something about something like eighty percent mm. of anything goes to tax, and then there's GST added on top of that in in Australia, and I mean a number of other countries also tax GST on top of stuff and have or, their own. I think they call it uh, value added tax or uh, service tax or um, sales tax, anything like that. Yeah. In front of us, um, yeah, we've got some homebrew. It's fresh out of the the bottle. We've never tried it before. It's mango and honey. Mm, Mead. Mango and honey mead. Mango and honey mead. And it smells smells interesting. Mm, It smells mango-y and honey. smells like cooked mango and honey. Oh, no. It smells like um, if you were to make like mango lollies. That's kind of what it smells like. Yeah, it's a sort of, sort of. I mean, it's a little bit... A little bit whiny, a little bit yeasty, because it's, you mm. know, fresh out of the bottle. This is the f- the first taste yeah. to making making sure we don't have to throw the whole thing out and start again. Yes, making sure it's safe, which is a step that uh, counterfeiters don't necessarily take. But again, we'll get to that later. But at the moment, while Stu is tasting it, I'll just keep talking so you can hear my... Sultry voice is he? Wow, actually, it's really nice. It's so sweet, very, very sugary, but it is. Ooh, it's potent. Mm. Yeah, breathe out. It's good. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It's. It tastes very different to how it smells. Yeah. Um. It's the there's a lot of mango on the nose. Um, but there's not too much complexity to it yet. You know, it tastes a little mm. bit yeasty. It's very fresh and like a, a Moscato, a mango, mango smelling Moscato. Yeah. 
Yes, a, a little, a little bit, a little mm. bit like a mango smelling fake wine. <laughs> I mean, it's a real wine. Don't, don't don't get me wrong. It's just not a real, real wine. It's not a good wine. And there are good moscatos, mind you, but they're good moscatos. Mm. Right. Anyway, though, we <laughs> we have we have digressed. The man because, doesn't like moscato because we're talking. Oh, I do. I just don't consider it to be like if I want wine, I'm not going to drink moscato. Well, yeah. If I want Moscato, I'll drink Moscato. <laughs> it's not the same drink. Not quite. Technically, yes, but on, on the palate, no. Yeah. All right. But anyway. We, we need to... First off, I think we need to talk about moonshine because that is the stereotypical bootleg booze. Do, do we, though? Because surely we should start in the 1600s when tax was first introduced on alcohol... And as a result, people immediately began finding ways to dodge said tax by bootlegging. Very true. And, well, it's sort of part part and parcel of the same thing because moonshine is a direct result of this tax avoidance. People were making their own, long before that, obviously, but the the people that couldn't afford the tax did, couldn't afford the good equipment Usually. Yeah. So, they were producing lower quality stuff and some of them decided to sell it. Mm. And thus, bootlegging was born. <laughs> but, uh, of course, it wasn't called bootlegging then. The name bootlegging didn't actually come into existence until the uh, 1920s during Prohibition, where the name is believed to have originated from the thousands of city dwellers who would sell liquor from flasks that they kept hidden in their boot or pants leg. Hmm. What an interesting uh, interesting origin for the name. Yeah, and uh, around that same time, the term rum running came into existence, and rum runners, which is usually only refer- used to refer to the smuggling of alcohol over water right alone on land which is what bootlegging Mm. tends to refer to but rum running also came about during prohibition because of people from the bahamas who would run caribbean rum straight to where it was wanted the most yeah well straight to speakeasies in florida (laughs) literally literally but it, it didn't stay as rum for long it was quite quickly replaced with uh, far more profitable things like Canadian whiskey, champagne, and English gin. Yeah, well, gin is, if you remember back to our gin episode, gin is part of the origin of NASCAR. Yeah, yeah, running gin was way up there, and uh, apparently some of these ships would, um, on a single run, carry as much as $200,000 worth of contraband. And that's $200,000 in 1920. In today's money, that's about $2.5 Per ship. Per ship. About two and a half million dollars worth of contraband alcohol. Like purchased, you know, legitimately in other countries and then sold illegally in the US without any taxes or Yeah. Any import duties yeah, or, like. or import duties or anything. And, and well, you know, they wouldn't have paid them anyway because it was illegal at the yeah, time. And undoubtedly at a massive markup. Oh hell yeah. All that profit was going straight in their pockets. Yep. Which is why they kept doing it for years until eventually they got shut down. I'm I'm impressed that they got shut down because a profitable 
profitable smuggling business like that could have gone on for a lot longer. Mm. I mean, they were eventually caught by the Coast Guard. Ah. And um, they fought them off, at least attempted to fight off the Coast Guard, <laughs> until eventually the Coast Guard, it turned out, had some heavy ordnance. Oh. And, uh, and sunk them. Put, well, they put a shell just off the bow of the boat and then they surrendered. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um even though prohibition for for the entire of, entirety of the US ended in the 1930s, hmm. it's still going on in some locations today. You've got dry cities in the US, in Australia, in uh South Africa. Cities where or towns where no booze is, no alcohol is allowed to be sold whatsoever. And w- would you believe it that exactly the same thing is happening? People are buying it from legitimate sources and just taking it in there. Yeah. Selling as, it for a premium. As a general rule, studies have found that all prohibition does is line the pockets of criminals. Yeah. Really. Really, truly. And the the same... I mean, this is slightly off topic, but the, they've found that the same thing is happening with the, the war on drugs. It's just not working. It, all it's doing is criminalizing addicts and people who could be legitimate businessmen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's slowly changing. Yeah. Look at all the tax they're missing out on. Right. I mean, look <laughs> look at... Yeah, let's... let's I, I was about to go off, but let's not. Let's not get too far off topic here. Yeah. Let's, let's bring ourselves back because we have digressed. But, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so... My, it, anyway, my, my point was that I, I believe that prohibition ended not because of social pressure from the people to the government. I believe that it was overturned because they had realized how much tax they're missing out on. Yeah, oh, and even now, like, with them, smuggling is costing them huge amounts of revenue. The government of the state of Virginia in the U.S. reportedly loses up to $20 million a year in tax revenue from smuggling. It, it's huge. Yeah, and it's um, huge. the U.K. estimates an annual loss of £900 million pounds yeah, wow. because of alcohol that is sold but not taxed. Mm. And that's just in the US and the UK. The uh, illicit alcohol accounts for n- over $200 million in low and p- particularly in low and middle income countries. Like for example, uh Honduras, it the illicit alcohol trade is about 20% of of the total alcohol trade. 15% distilled and they're losing about $6 million a year. And for a country like Honduras, that's a lot of money to be losing. That's a lot of money for a small country. Yeah. Uh, Uganda, for example, the illicit alcohol trade is 61% of the total alcohol. 72% distilled alcohols. 72% of that is spirits. Guess how mm. much? Guess how much they're losing out on? Half? $172 million. They're losing $172 million. <laughs> because of the illicit alcohol trade. Because of black market booze. It's incredible. So, how much is that as a percentage of what they could be gaining? Well, the, the, that's they could be gaining $172 million if they could shut down that 
illicit alcohol trade. Right, right, right. Uh, South Africa, another example, they're losing $3 million per year because of the 23% black market booze. Yeah, so huge amounts of tax revenue lost, which is understandably why they do it. Now, I know there are certain communities in Australia that are dry communities Mm. because certain people in positions of power have decided that alcohol is a big problem in those areas, so they're Mm. going to ban it. But the people... And let's not not be racist about it. It is predominantly Aboriginal communities. It is predominantly Aboriginal communities, and it is predominantly rich white folks who have decided that that is their problem and they can't have it anymore. It's not predominantly rich white folks. It is rich white folks who have said that. Who have said that, yeah. And uh, (laughs) they themselves say that it's a symptom, not the cause. Yeah. And, uh, of course, dry communities, people just buy alcohol somewhere else and take it in. They mm. Exactly make, the same thing that was happening in Prohibition times. So, I mean, now they, they make false reports to the police to get them to go to the other side of town so mm. they can bring it in behind their back. They mm. you know, report robberies, suicides, murders anything to distract the police from yeah the the vehicles bringing alcohol in and that stuff is then sold for as much as 1100 percent of the recommended retail price yeah uh one of the stats in front of me says one bottle of spirits could go for 500 dollars. that's crazy yeah i mean i I imagine it's not one that's actually worth that because as as we know there are bottles of spirits that can sell for as much as forty thousand dollars it's probably johnny Johnny Red or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just being marked up that much because people want it. They'll pay for it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, if you create the if you create a hole in the market, someone will fill it. That, exactly. That seems to be the way that it works. And uh but then of course there's also if there's an opportunity for money and somebody is unscrupulous enough they will take that opportunity and make that money. And I guess mm. that's where we come into things like uh, substituting and counterfeiting alcohols. Mm. On on the, on the scale of things, there's right at the top, you've got recorded alcohol, which is the the beer you buy at the shop, the, the wine you get at the pub, all that sort of stuff. Then you've got unrecorded alcohol in the regulated section which includes uh, GD-free alcohol. You've got, um, like, it's still regulated, even though you're you're bringing it in, because you can only Mm. bring in a certain amount before they tax you on it. Yeah. Uh, And then in the unregulated section, you've got informal alcohol, which includes homebrew, includes uh, wine and beer brewed for religious reasons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what we're drinking today just for for, for a hobby and then you've and got of course beer wine and cider brewed for personal consumption yeah uh and you've got uh then you've got contraband and smuggled alcohol which is in the illegal section you've got counterfeit alcohol you've got tax leakage which is legally produced alcohol beverages on which the required excise tax was not paid in the jurisdiction of production. That's a mm. that's a big part of the illicit alcohol trade. 
You've also got non-conforming alcohol, which includes uh, products that are not compliant with production regulations, including uh, denaged alcohol or industrial alcohol that have worked their way into drinks. And then you've got surrogate alcohol, which includes, um, again, denatured or illicit, sorry, denatured or industrial alcohol that's not meant to be consumed for by humans. Not meant to be consumed by humans, but consumed as a substitute for alcohol. Like when you hear stories about people drinking methylated spirits. Yeah, or metho, as it is sometimes referred to in Australia. Yeah, because it'll still get you drunk, but it will wreck you. Yeah, and I mean, you even hear about people drinking vanilla essence. Mm. And really anything that you can buy. Yeah. But especially in Australia mm. where you can't, buy alcohol from a supermarket, teenagers who want to get drunk and don't care how (laughs) will try pretty much anything. Yeah, vanilla essence being one of them. I actually think it still comes up, still gets flagged in the system, in the the point of sale system. But I suppose it wouldn't matter if you're um, going through one of those self-serve checkouts. Yeah, well, and there's still not an age requirement you could be baking. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yes, so on that note, though, let's move across to talking about counterfeit and substitute mm. alcohols. And I suppose start with substitute because that's the really simple one for yeah. for slightly dodgy pubs and bars to do, which is that they'll buy an expensive top-shelf bottle of something, and when the bottle is half full, they might refill it with water. Or when the bottle is completely empty, they'll refill it with some bottle sh- with some bottom-shelf stuff and still charge top-shelf prices for it. Yeah, or um, they might inadvertently be buying alcohol from a illegal producer that's just slapped the, for example, the Bacardi label on it. Yeah, and that of course is counterfeit. Yeah, because oftentimes they don't know these these counterfeiters have some pretty good channels set up where mm. they can slip their stuff into legitimate bars, nightclubs, retailers. Yeah, and no one. Like, some of them are really good, so you can't tell the difference. And, I mean, they make it for next to nothing, but sell it to the bar club retailer, etc., at the price of the thing they're selling it as. Mm. Thus making huge amounts, which is why you know people do it, because there's a lot of money to be made from it. That's it, because instead of making it legitimately and you know paying the tax on it, where 80% of it goes to the government you get to keep that 80%. Yeah, so while it's uh, annoying to be ripped off by a a substitute drink where you thought you (laughs) bought a $60 and you ended up with some cheap vodka instead Mm. or something that's been watered down, it's downright dangerous to end up with a counterfeit because oftentimes they are very high in methanol. Yeah, especially if they're not good at what they're doing yet. Or or they just don't care. Yeah, or they just don't care and they're being cheap about it and mm. they forked out for the legit-looking bottle and the legit-looking label mm-hmm. and the legit-looking bottle cap. <laughs> so it looks the business. But isn't. And, but it's not and you don't know until you drink it. Yeah. And even then, I would say a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm, well, I mean, if you've bought like say uh you know vodka red bull or something yeah 
You don't taste you the don't vodka. You don't taste the vodka. Even yeah. if it was the cheapest, nastiest vodka in the world, you probably well, wouldn't taste it. Well, if it was the cheapest, nastiest vodka in the world, you'd probably notice. But if it was <laughs> the middle of the way through your night, would you? Maybe. I mean, well, probably not. Yeah. Probably e- not. Exactly. And, of course, it's that sort of thing where we end up with reports of um, the negatives that can come from it. I mean, obviously, you would like to think that you would taste the difference after you bought it. Yeah. And there are websites and departments and things dedicated to identifying counterfeiters. And counterfeiters do get found out and they do get shut down. Mm. But they leave a lot of damage in their wake. Like um, some of the side effects of... uh, Methanol poisoning, which you can get from some of the worst counterfeits, is um, things like uh, a burning sensation like beyond what you would expect on the lips or in the mouth or in the throat, and um, blindness, nerve damage, and even death in some instances. Mm. So it doesn't take much methanol to, uh, to do some damage. It's about a uh, uh, thirty to thirty to two hundred and forty mils per kilogram of ethanol per person to to be toxic. Well, sorry, I mean, what's what's the phrase? Uh, T T D fifty fifty percent of people die from a a dose of thirty mils per one kilogram of body weight. So for of a, a ethanol of, or methanol of methanol of methanol, yeah. So. So what? 30 mils per kilogram of body weight yep. would mean that somebody who weighs 50 kilos yep. would only need to consume one and a half liters of methanol to, to, to be die. Dead. Yeah. 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 The average person, if they were, f- yeah. Yeah. One and a half liters. That's of pure methanol, though. That's of pure methanol to be dead. Yeah. But in, in a dilute form, in amounts less than that, you would still you know, suffer some serious damage, which is where you end up with things like nerve damage, blindness. Yeah. Or just getting really sick. And you'll hate yourself the next day. Well, a lot of the hangover symptoms can come from methanol. That's why you get so... That's why uh, wine hangovers are so bad. Yeah, because, I mean, all pretty much all alcoholic drinks contain some methanol, but in ludicrously small amounts. Yeah, you're looking at 1% or... 0.5% of the total alcohol by volume. Yeah, low enough that you would have to drink so much you would die from alcohol poisoning before it got you. Yeah. But so, for example, a, a 5% beer would have 0.05% methanol, which is almost undetectable. Yeah, like in the nanoliter sort of scale. Like yeah. This. Yeah, minute amounts... And and we also should note that the treatment for methanol poisoning is ethanol. It's regular alcohol. You, you have a bit of that because it slows down the absorption of metho into your system. Yeah. So basically, if you've had something bad, have have a scotch or something like a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you've had some metho... You'll not be. But no, you're, you're probably that in a hospital, and they'll be sorting you out. Yeah, you've got any, yeah anywhere from feeling ill to headaches to organ failure and blindness. Yeah, 
it's it's not not a not a so fun game. It's definitely, and we we're not saying become paranoid. There's counterfeit everywhere, and what you're drinking right now is probably counterfeit. But just be aware that if something doesn't taste right, it might not be. Hmm. And double check the bottle, double check the label, double check the cap, smell it, double you know run it against everything you know to be correct of the drink you're drinking and if anything seems off hmm. report it that's it but the the even though we're i guess scaremongering at the moment the chances of getting a bottle of illicit booze is very very small oh yeah yeah you're probably more likely to win the lottery <laughs> yeah well depends on where you are yes like there there are some Big black market alcohol producers, mm. and yeah, they're, they're well was, connected. Yeah, one in uh, New South Wales that took off uh, last year was was caught and buggered off with millions of dollars. Mm. And they don't get it. They don't give you a pretty big fine when they catch you. They just send you to the tax department. Yeah, and then they send you to federal prison. Yeah, because you don't pay that. You've paid a lot of, or you haven't paid a lot of tax. Yeah. So they say, pony up the dough or jail with you. Hmm. That's it. And of course, that guy just buggered off. Of course he did. <laughs> but uh, apparently there was also uh, in Orange a bottle shop that had been selling. And uh, for those of you overseas who are playing the game with us today, Orange is a small town in uh, New South Wales. Yeah, outback New South Wales. Yeah, that um, apparently for quite some time had some... Very dodgy tequila being sold from one of their local bottle shops that uh, was brewed locally, despite the label saying it was made in Mexico. Ooh. <laughs> and, and it was very, very cheap, and it was very, very nasty. And uh, after a few too many people got suspicious, it just suddenly ceased to be there. <laughs> but they still caught him. Mm. They still caught him. So, not to worry. But the yes. but I believe there was a big song and dance about the the Mexican um, government being unhappy that there was Australian produced tequila. Yeah, because I mean it wasn't tequila at all. It wasn't made in the right region. No, the the closest it could be is mezcal. Yeah, and it was pretending. Yeah, that it was made in Mexico. It said it on the label. It sure did. And so they tried to find the. Because they had run it through some stuff. Oh, that's the other one. There was also a scotch that mm. was being sold, uh, supposedly produced by the same people as this tequila. That's right. And they analysed them and found a pile of elements that should be in scotch missing mm. from the scotch. Which is which, a, a good telltale sign that it's a fake. Yeah, dead giveaway that it was a fake. And mm. the same sort of thing with the tequila. So they knew they were fakes. Mm. And they started looking. So certainly people who produce fakes might make some money for a while, but discerning drinkers will notice something is off. Yeah. And, you know, as long as you make sure you let people know in the unlikely event that you do find something that doesn't seem quite right, mm. then whoever's doing it is not going to last long. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know... Obviously, booze is booze. If you get a new cheap one that you've never had before, it's going to taste nasty if it's cheap, usually. Usually, yeah. Um, that's 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 not necessarily... That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be fake or yeah. counterfeit. 
Yeah. No, exactly. So we, we don't want to generate fear. We're, we're not trying we're, to be Fox News or anything here. No. Just, we, we discovered that bootlegging was still a, a big thing and we wanted to tell you guys about it. Yeah, because you know we're all about enjoying a drink. And mm. if it's fake... You can't enjoy a fake. Well, yeah. you can't enjoy a fake as well as the real thing. As well as the real thing, yeah. Although that's that's kind of actually what we're trying to prove with our blind tasters. Yeah. The, that cheap is can be ju- just as good, if not better, than but it's, expensive. But it's still being legitimately made following the rules, and that's what yeah. counterfeiters don't do. They don't follow the rules. They don't follow the rules. They don't follow the regulations. Yeah. They don't produce it under any sort of quality control. Yeah. They just make it. That's it. So... Yeah, I think that's about time we wrap it up. Uh, I haven't got anything else. Have you got anything else? Yeah, no, that's it. So uh, here comes the plugs. You can, uh, of course, tell your friends about us. That's the best way for people to find out that we're worth a listen. And um, <laughs> Definitely worth a listen. And if you are telling them or you'd like to download individual episodes or share individual episodes with them, then direct them to our website, agooddrop.com.au. Yeah, and if you haven't already, we'd love you to subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Where we are a good drop all about alcohol. Hmm. We're also on the social medias as a good drop podcast. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you've got any comments, questions, feedback, if you want to tell us your favourite bootleg story, you can send us an email to agooddrop at gmail.com. Yep, and now be sure to tune in next time when we talk about flashy alcohols. Not just alcohol that lights up, but sometimes. Yeah, but uh, alcohol with a a flashy name or a gimmicky flashy bottle or... Yeah, alcohol with flair. Yeah. Uh, The one I'm thinking of at the moment is Vinique with the the pearl dust in it, or glitter in it. Or the, the cinnamon vodka with gold flakes. Yeah, the... And we'll, we'll be talking all about that stuff next time. So yeah. be sure to tune in for that one. Stay tuned. So until then, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>